following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. It is Minute 60 of Flash Gordon. Eric, how you doing this fine evening? Well, life is sweet this fine evening, Brad, because I'm just chilling here, enjoying a snack, while taking in the sights and sounds of my own offspring getting tortured. I wonder if they thought about just giving him a box of popcorn, because that was the only thing that was missing. Just, just about. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but something worth uh, watching with a bo- box of popcorn is our fantastic guest for this week. Eric, who do we have with us? We have, from the upcoming Clue Minute, Curtis Blaze. Welcome, Curtis. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Uh, really, Curtis, really excited to have you with us. I am a big fan of the movie Clue, and... Uh, it's one of those. That's one of those movies where the the sum is definitely greater than uh, the the whole is greater than some of the parts because on paper it looks like a crappy movie or it looks like a you know a TV movie and for some reason it's just fantastic possibly just because Tim Curry is that awesome. Well, you know, I am actually that's why I'm doing this minute so I can examine whether or not the movie holds together under scrutiny. I'm doing it as a whodunit kind of mystery, and we're going to follow the clues throughout the season and see if it matches up with what they actually tell us the answer was. Ah, that's nice. That's a great take. That's a great take. Uh, You have a co-host on that? No, I am trying to just go alone and just get guest hosts for everyone, guest detectives. Wow, gutsy. Good for you. I am uh, I, I am always impressed with because there's a handful of shows that have been doing that. Um, I was lucky enough to be on Five Minutes of Mystery where... uh, it was you know, breaking up, breaking down five uh, mystery men five minutes at a time, and, and it's, it was, again, that was a solo host. And uh, he, he, boy, that was a, that was an undertaking uh, right there. So, um, and you're doing and you're doing it minute by minute. Yes, I, I'm really excited to hear uh, to listen to that. That's going to be fun. So, uh, so we have a great guest, uh, and we have an intriguing minute. So. Uh, Eric, why don't you walk us through minute 60? Well, yeah, the, the, the big thing going on in this minute is the boar worms. Aura's torture started in our last episode, and it continues this episode. And the, uh, the whip is not getting it done. Clytus' screaming is not getting it done. So he, Clytus asks Kala to bring him the boar worms. Um, and we never actually see the boar worms. We just see Kala holding the container that they're in. We don't know exactly what they do. But considering it's the word boar, I don't think it's the boar where it bores you to death. I don't think they're worms that look like wild boars. I'm thinking they bore into your skin. Boy, that would be great if it was just something. It would just be a worm that told you stories that don't go anywhere. <laughs> like that uh, episode of The Simpsons where it's like that was grandpa was you know part of like old leg breakers, but now they just told you know. Now we just tell stories that don't go anywhere. Oh yeah, just... it's about you hang an onion from your belt, which was the style at the time. Oh my god, that'd be awesome! Being from Iowa, this always reminded me of the uh, European corn borer, 
which is a worm that bores through corn the same way that I imagine is happening with the boar worms in Flash Gordon to Aura. Ah, an agricultural pest. Yes. Except this one likes meat instead of corn. Yes. Yes. Uh, we, yeah. we assume it would be great if they uh, that would be another great way there's a lot of great taste they could have on that and when they just like bring out the worms she's like no my corn <laughs> well and then and then like the european corn borer maybe the boar worm after it gets full uh becomes a beautiful moth a lot of great ways uh now i gotta and, and eric points out i can't believe they don't show the worm Oh, it probably didn't, you know, they ran out of budget or something. Must be, because it's sort of like, uh, this is really Chekhov's boarworms. It's like, how can you mention that creature? <laughs> or considering they're in that case that Kyle is holding, it could be Schrodinger's boarworms. Do they really exist? <laughs> and uh, going through the going through the movie afterwards, she isn't acting like, she doesn't act like she has worms crawling through her. Oh, no, no, it, it's... It, yeah, it, we do not see the after effects. That is true. Uh, what was, and I want to see what you guys, what you guys immediately thought of when they mentioned the boarworms. Aside from the fact that, like, oh, icky, because whenever they mention that, I think of the same, th- the, the same thing every time. So, wh- what do you think of when they say boarworms? Is there any other reference that comes to mind? Well, yeah, Rath- I mean, Rathacon. Yeah, yes. Rathacon, of course. <laughs> Which is in, it's and it's interesting you bring up Rathacon because um, there's an episode of Enterprise where they actually mention boarworms that they specifically say they crawl into someone's ear at night and lay their eggs. The episode's called oh. Red Planet, but I looked it up on the Star Trek wiki and it's a different thing from the SETI Alpha Five eel in Star Trek Rathacon. Wow, the Star Trek guys—they really know what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so there are multiple types of things that do similar things in the star trek world well they don't say much about it at the uh at the wiki for flash gordon no no um and you know what's funny when i was a kid i thought they were saying the ball worms i didn't realize they were saying bored till i was you know maybe in high school or college and so i pictured them as being worms that were in the shit that were like shaped like balls and i was like the ball worms that just sounds weird and, and Ooh, when like, you... oh boar worms oh yeah that makes more sense when you said ballworm, that made me think of something very different than just something that's round. And it made it very hard to keep sitting down for a moment. That <laughs> would be another great take. It's like, I'm going to bring out the ballworm. She's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Not really my worries. <laughs> and, and all the guys in the room just sort of, you know, cross their legs. It's like, hey, don't, bring, don't bring them around. Uh, just a great term. And is in of course coming from Clytus is like bring out the ball worms. It's like I, you know what I don't even know what that is. I want nothing to do with it. Uh, as we're recording this, I think it was um, about two weeks after the release of Deadpool two. And the people who've uh, seen that there was a scene where T.J. Wilson is being held prisoner by Cable. Spoiler alert. Yeah, hang on now. Hold on now. I haven't seen it yet. Hold on now. I I haven't seen it either. Okay, you got all right. There's a scene that eh, crap. All right, we're gonna skip that. You know what? I I'm gonna I'm authorizing you to go for it on my. You know what? Me too. To hell with it. Who cares? Go ahead, do it. 
there's just a short scene where T.J. Wilson is being held prisoner by Cable. Cable starts describing how he's going to beat information out of him. And T.J. Wilson's like, no, no, I'm going to stop you. We're good. I'm, and just t- spills everything. <laughs> and that's what I would be as soon as I just mentioned boreworms. It's like, well, Mr. Mendenhall, we have these boreworms. It's like, okay, here's my ATM code. Uh, and uh, really, do you need me to write it down? Or do you want me to take you to the ATM? Whatever, Just leave those in the box. Because, uh, no, I'm good. Well, now, let's think about this now. So, boar worms, they can bore into your skin. Like, like I thought maybe they can bore into your ears, like in Star Trek. They can bore Ugh. up your nose. Um, like what? What? It, which to you is the one that would be the absolute worst way for the boar worm to enter you? Wow, through through your thick. Well, okay, I I always imagined that they were just putting it right in her whip wounds on her ah, back. Ah, okay, yeah. and letting them uh, let her feeling crawl around underneath her skin back there. I could work, but I know from experience. That these kinds of things go for the soft tissue first. I feel like if they're going up my nose, that's the worst it could be. I, I just. Oh, I, I, I think there's worse places than nose <laughs> that they could be going up to begin with. Yeah, this is a family show. These oh, are... I meant eyes, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Cor- of course. Corners of your eyes. That would be bad. That would be bad. Bad times. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so damn. So yeah, uh, talk about boar worms. Aura is for the first time really losing her cool. Um, even while being tortured, she she was definitely hurting, but she still seemed to be in control over to be in control. But uh, the mention of the boar worms really makes her lose it, and uh, she's calling for daddy. Yeah, yeah, and not only that, but she says she's calling for him and says, you know, I'll have him execute your entire police force and i'm just wondering if clytus is there torturing her how is she going to get ming to execute his entire police force essentially leaving mongo city you know unguarded you know for this that's a stretch and and who's ming going to uh, get to pick up his entire police force right they're going to execute themselves right she's bluffing and uh but then a big surprise for aura and me I was stunned because there's there's Ming eating some food. I, I I think it's grapes. I think he's eating grapes. Yeah, he's snacking, and uh, the the one way mirror. You know, all of a sudden he shows. Really a surprise. This was, and and and, I and when I say surprise, I don't mean that Aura the character was surprised. When you see this, and I sometimes I'll go a little while in between seeing Flash Gordon, and I'll sort of forget the details. And, uh, you know, when that happens, every time, I'm just surprised because they very much set this up as Clytus sort of tricking Ming into giving him permission to torture Aura. While he, quote-unquote, has permission, you could definitely see a thing where Clytus, I mean, uh, Ming shows up is like, what are you doing? It's like, you gave me permission. Him just barely weaseling out of trouble is like, nope. Clytus was keeping Ming informed, and Ming has no problem with this. And it really is sort of a left turn on what you would expect. There's still, however inappropriate it is, an affection between the two of them. And so you're not expecting, as evil as Ming is, you're not expecting him to be going right along with and, you know, treating as, as a spectator what's being done to his only daughter. Oh, well, and, you know, while casually snacking on what I think are M&M's. <laughs> 
that guy's skin is way too leathery for him to get um, enough moisture through fruit and healthy things. <laughs> yeah, and, and he doesn't seem like a guy who really watches his diet. You know, he's definitely uh, a creature of pleasures. So, you know, you're, you're right. Uh, there's probably, like, some very uh, high cholesterol or a lot of sweets. Um, and I would hate to be the dentist who has to tell him to knock it off with the sweets. Really don't <laughs> want to be the person telling Ming to stop doing anything. <laughs> hey, I want to I wanna explore going down kind of an uncomfortable road for a second. Um, Clytus. Cly- is that the right pronunciation? Yep, Clytus. Clytus. He's in love with Aura, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or at least he lusts after her greatly. He, he definitely wants to possess her. He definitely wants to possess her. He's got her sort of in a position here that isn't completely innocent, and he's whipping her. And Ming's giving him permission to do this. Is he liking this more oh, 100%, than... percent uh, absolutely. I, I mean, does it read that way to you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the sexual politics of this movie are insane. Absolutely insane. Okay, I I wasn't sure how far down that road you guys wanted to go. Yeah, oh, right. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we've been as it's it's as as we've been analyzing this, you know, going minute by minute through a movie that you've you know I've seen five thousand times, you know, really starts to call attention to stuff you never looked at as a whole before, and it, you know. I'd say at this point, just about every week, every guest is getting to say, talk about something incredibly inappropriate <laughs> going on here in this movie. Well, and, and here's a, a, a little look behind the curtain, folks. Um, there can There's often up to a month between when we record and when the episodes are released. And so, and when the episodes go out, I try to listen to them right away. Uh, sometimes, depending on how crazy I am editing these episodes, I end up getting a little bit behind. But, um... So what's interesting is as we're recording this, I'm also listening to old episodes. And the episode I just listened to um, not that long ago was when Aura was basically cooing at her father (laughs) to spare Flash, which was a creepy scene. And then, uh, Eric, you actually had read like the original scene in the script. Oh, yeah, I remember that episode. <laughs> where she's basically running her tongue along his ear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Ming, even even with the edited version, Ming is like pretty lucky he's wearing robes at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's curling his goatee in her finger. Yeah. We've said it before, uh, between this and Star Wars, basically, you know, and I know we're, we're, we're going to lose uh, our West Virginia audience, but... <laughs> Apparently, space is just like the worst uh, stereotypes of West Virginia because uh, between Luke making out with Leia and uh, you know this, it's uh, the family trees don't split very often. I know. I understand what you're saying. I just want to. I want to be that whoosh guy for a second. George Lucas didn't know they were brother and sister when they did that scene. Okay, <laughs> back off my soapbox. Yeah. Um, ever so uh, quickly going off that going down that rabbit hole again there was um so many writers um from the subsidiary star wars stuff had a real problem because the star wars movies obviously up until you know the up until you know halfway through return of the jedi everyone just thought that that, that was supposed to be the love triangle it was luke leia and han and in the Star Wars comics that were going on while the movies were being released, they just had, like, uh, I remember reading about this. There was this 10-issue or 20-issue run where Luke and Leia were sort of 
off on their own and dealing with their relationship and whether they should be together and I think there was a, couple, a little bit more making out and stuff and it's like oh you, you could just feel it you could just imagine what the poor writers felt like is like oh crap I'll go one further have you guys read Splinter of the Mind's Eye no no I'm not okay I've read, it, uh, I've, I read it uh, years ago but yeah I read it okay there was a scene in there Okay, let me go back a little bit. You know how when people are about to get frisky in an old-style movie, the camera pans away to the uh, fireplace? Yeah, something that's been made fun of many times where they show all the stock video. Right, right. When okay, it's not so, parody, all of a sudden you see trains going into tunnels and stuff like that. In Splinter of the Mind's <laughs> Eye, in, Spl- <laughs> in Splinter of the Mind's Eye, there's basically that scene. They're cuddling up on Mimbin. And they start to kiss, and then there's sort of there's almost like a, a, a an you know a, a a book version of pulling away and and fading to some jungle sounds and stuff, and then coming <laughs> back later in the aftermath of that, like they have they, they, they <laughs> stopped. <laughs> yeah, it, it can definitely it can definitely be inferred from what's there in that book. <sighs> yeah. And that was that was Dean Foster. That was Alan Dean Foster, right? And what was gonna be the sequel to that movie if it had failed or not done as well? Oh, I heard about this where they came up with a script that was a lower budget that would have had a much lower budget in case the first movie wasn't the blockbuster that it turned out to be. Right. It was gonna all be set on that planet where uh, Luke meets up or where Han meets up with that Woody Al- Woody Harrelson guy, muddy, swampy. Um, Foggy planet, so that they wouldn't have to build extensive sets. Gosh, all right, yeah, we're right. really off though. <laughs> yeah, but it's just apparently in space, the rules are different. Well, let me bring it back to Clytus because you mentioned, uh, uh, Curtis, you mentioned about you know Clytus enjoying this, and he's got he's got you know, <laughs> again he's got some great line readings in here. First, there you know when Aura's demanding to see Ming with pleasure i mean just he knows what's about to happen and he's just milking every second of enjoying that she doesn't un- know the total face slap figurative face slap she's about to get and then ming reveals himself and you know he's like oh you know she's gonna confess just should we stop the torture but he knows the answer to that question <laughs> ming is just like eminem he's <laughs> <laughs> like no did you know they have caramel in these now? <laughs> hey, so question. Ming's outfit. Is yeah. this is this the first time in the movie, pardon me for not knowing, that he's not in the robes? Um, I think so. Um, yeah, I, I think definitely, so. I definitely prefer this outfit to the robes. Oh, it, yeah, it's, it's cool. This is a cool outfit. The thing earlier on where he had to like lift his robes up to go up yeah. the steps, that wasn't very cool. Now, we had a little bit of talk where you know, these are definitely, uh, a lot of these are costumes made for uh, look and not for comfort or uh, functionality. And poor Max von Sydow, lifting the robes, and uh, what was it? How heavy were the robes? Uh, it was like 30 pounds or 35 pounds or something. Yeah, and uh, very limiting, and uh, so, yeah. I'm wondering if this was just a costume that they finally made, because he complained about how brutal those uh, outfits were on him. This is also a scene that required a lot of standing. And, you know, I'm sure the filming of this required a lot of standing and, you know, there's no sitting on a throne and watching this. So, yeah, uh, 
better functionality. And it looks great. Gosh, the costumes in this movie are so fantastic. That's the thing. That's the thing I was noticing while I was watching it today. Oh, by the way, I ended up just buying it <laughs> on YouTube. Um, the the sets and the costume, everything is amazing. It is amazing. I can't believe that this wasn't a huge hit in 1980. I realized that Star Wars was grittier and kind of cool and more immersive, but 1980, this was still pretty good. I mean, they built the Ewok village. Yeah, it's and the movie wasn't quite the bomb people remember it being. It, it basically made back its yeah, money. Yeah, it did, it did it did turn a profit, yeah. In an era of the Star Wars films, you know, this this certainly wasn't Star Wars. Um, and yeah, with such a great soundtrack and I think, it, you know, from what we've seen in the previews, it looked like it had good advertising. It was, it was still a known property and Flash Gordon was still, a, I think, a, I don't know if it was still a popular comic, but it was still a comic that ran a lot in the, you know, the, there had been cartoons and it's definitely a, a property with a lot of awareness and yeah, it's campy and it's over the top, but you know, so was Superman. I mean, I guess Superman was a little less campy, but still had quite. This isn't such an incredible leap away from stuff that had been popular before. It, I guess it, it really did suffer from being compared to Star Wars because it's not a Star Wars film. But uh, yeah, it, this should have been bigger. This really should have been bigger. Isn't that funny? Can you imagine what it would have been like had George Lucas made this? Would we've gotten the same team that made Star Wars, or would we've gotten the same team that made Attack of the Clones? <laughs> well, fortunately, Rick McCallum hadn't entered George Lucas's life yet at that point. So, you know, it, it was still it's still an era before George lost his fastball. And in, in fairness, George Lucas was never a great director. He really put everything he had into Star Wars, and then he became a very very good producer. And then he sort of lost lost that um and but at this point as impassioned as he was about this as uh, innovative and creative as he was he, he would have made a good star wars i mean i mean he would have made a good flash gordon it would have been very very different and you know we wouldn't have the movie that we love now but we would probably have a movie that we loved right right it just would have been a completely different movie right well and with his eye on with his eye on trying to make things look real which is where he was at at the time, it could have been, this could have been the hit. You know, imagine the Lizardmen <laughs> not working out very well, so he figures out how to light them and not, uh, not just have eyeballs and face inside of an open mouth. Well, it's funny you say that because, uh, yeah, he could have done better, but then again, I just watched a, uh, rewatched the Honest Trailers for the first uh, Star Wars, and it did point out that in, that can- in the cantina scene... There were some pretty crap, crappy costumes in that. Oh, there's a guy in a, in a wolfman mask. Yeah, a wolfman. <laughs> Not just a guy in it, but featured. Yeah. Yeah, they did right. a close-up. It's like, hey, what? who let that guy on the set? <laughs> um, so who, who knows? It, it definitely would have been a very different movie. It would have been a very successful movie. But, you know, we, then we wouldn't have had this film, and then we also wouldn't have had Star Wars. And right, exactly. So... Everything happened as it should have. I think we're in the good universe uh, with the good timeline. Okay, now, that works for me. And now, speaking of uh, other classic movies here, I'm going to use that segue here because we leave Arborea. I mean, we leave uh, Aura's Torture. We go back oh, to Arborea. Oh, wait. 
I'm yeah, so yeah, sorry. Ahead. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to I, I wanted to bring this up quick before we left and went yeah, to go ahead. Uh, please uh, the forest mood of Endor. They have a table at the castle that has hands, golden hands for holding people down on it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't create that just for her. That's oh, no. just something they're like. Get the hand table. <laughs> They're really into hand stuff because they had the hand gun earlier and now they have Oh my god, this. that's right. What is that? They just really like that look. Uh, that, so That is dedication to, uh, to bondage right there. I just came up with a fan theory right now at the top of my head. We're always talking about Ming flexing his fingers. There's a lot of focus on Ming's hands as well. I just decided the gauntlet gun and these hands on the table, those are castings of Ming's hands. Huh? I buy that. I buy that. Yeah, that works for me. So that every time you're held down in, uh, in, in Mongo, Mongo, did I have that right? Yeah. You are being held down by Ming personally. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we, we fade to... We fade to Arborea. And he appeared in the background in a couple of minutes previously, but um, we now get to hear Fico, who is played by Richard O'Brien, who, of course, is much more better well-known as the writer of Rocky Horror Picture Show, playing Riff Raff in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, and here he shows up in his uh, first speaking words in Flash with that distinctive voice. What do you expect of Ming's daughter? Yeah, it, it, it's definitely a distinctive voice, and I've heard him in interviews. He doesn't quite have that. It, he he sounds a little different in interviews. It, it's definitely his voice, but he sort of ups sort of the nasally aspect of his. Uh, but yeah, he's a um, very distinctive look, very distinctive voice, and I was like, "Holy crap, riffraff!" And I saw Rocky Horror Picture Show. Quite a few times in college, because as a as a freshman at Lock Haven University, I sort of fell in with the Rocky Horror crowd. And there were so many trips to different uh, performances. I did get uh, yanked on to uh, performing once or maybe twice. Uh, never quite got into it. I really like the musical. Uh, it's actually a show with some really good music. Um, and it's a good movie, even outside of the cult sing-along stuff or, you know, calling back to the, uh, calling back to the screen. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, Richard O'Brien. Who, man, I don't feel like he does a lot other than, I mean, he has, he has not a terrible IMDb page, but for a guy who's been doing this for so long, he has a lot of gaps. Yeah, I mean, Rocky Horror is, like, far and away his biggest credit. This guy is kind of my favorite character in the movie. I don't, I didn't know any of that about, I'm sorry, I didn't know anything about his past acting credits and that he was a writer for Rocky Horror and everything. Something about him just appeals to me. Something about him just grounds the movie for me. I, I just like him. Well, he, and we don't really see it in this minute, but he's sort of a voice of reason. He kind of is. Yeah. And you don't really have that in this film. Um, even, you know... If, Flash is a little too gung-ho and a little too, you know, cheer everyone else on to be the voice of reason. Um, Zarkov is a guy who has a lot of the answers, but is really, uh, sort of outsmarts himself trying to deal with stuff, but it, it is a little too 
uh, scientific and analytical. Uh, nah, not, 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 not our friend Riff Raff here. He's uh, <laughs> although we will talk more about this because the first thing he says, uh, I think, is sort of dumb. But we'll uh, we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that tomorrow. Well, I mean, this guy, his his character is just so different from everybody else in the movie because you know General Kala is is like you must go to the you know everybody's super theatrical in this movie and then this guy is like hey everybody how's it going yeah no, there's a bit that of sounds that. like a stupid idea why would we do that <laughs> no also, <don't... laughs> also is he the only other than Ming is he the only bald person in this movie every Arborian's got hair right he just oh. stands out. The Hawkman definitely are hairy. Right. Yeah, he, he does stick out. And, uh, no, he, we're going to have fun talking about him tomorrow. Two more Howard Blake musical cues in this minute. There's some dramatic music when they mention the boar worms. And then we also have uh, some of Fico's flute. Richard O'Brien is playing there. That's numbers 23 and 24 in the Howard Blake countdown. You, you get some great Howard Blake in these minutes. Curtis, so uh, yeah, we love Howard Blake. I know um, Queen gets all the attention, but Howard Blake does some great work in this, and uh, it, it's going to be some fun stuff. Oh no! Because of listening to your podcast here in the last couple of weeks, I've been today. I was really aware of it as I watched the movie how they blended Queen and and, and that guy together. They did a really good job of that. Yeah, they really do. And that guy, it doesn't really stand out as being that different from the direction that Queen was taking it. And it doesn't sound like a typical 80s cheesy synthy soundtrack while being a typical cheesy, <laughs> cheesy 80s synthy soundtrack. But in a good way, sort of like, uh, I don't know, uh, Big Trouble in Little China was. Like he, he, he uses it and sets a mood properly without it standing out and looking aged now. These days, no, he did the perfect amount of it's of the era, but it sort of transcends the era, right? I guess that's I guess that's the way to say the same thing in seven less sentences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm basically like uh, uh, it's basically like Star Trek, where there's the big scientific explanation, and then there's Scotty saying he's like, "We're gonna sour the mother's milk." <laughs> All right, well, uh, Curtis, this has been a fantastic minute. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be with us all week. I'm gonna stay with you all week. So uh, you have a Clue Minute uh, upcoming. Uh, is there? Do you have any social media set up for that? I do. It's just CluMinute.com. All right. Well, recommend everyone check that out. Uh, and you know that's a, it's a great movie. To, that is a great movie and a rare comedy that'll really work with this. I'm so excited to do it. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. So we look forward to hearing that. Uh, and Eric, where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? Uh, you can do it on Facebook. Join us in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Chat with us there. Chat with us on Twitter. Flash Gordon Pod is our handle. And email us at flashgordonminute at gmail.com. Uh, we ask everyone to give us a rating and review on iTunes. The more rating, re- ratings and reviews we get, the more visibility we have. And we want more people to join the fun. Uh, Eric, this has been another fantastic minute. I'm really looking forward to more talk and more riffraff. And uh, feeling really great. But... Uh, but I, there is a there is a little bit of an issue I have. I'm a I'm gonna have time warp stuck in my head all day because uh, of this minute. Oh yeah yeah yeah. That's 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 a tough one. That that <laughs> song is an earworm. The song it's it it, it bores into your. E- <laughs> that's the bore worm. Bores into your ears like a bore worm. <laughs>
It's an ear bore worm. But as those notes invade your brain, don't worry about it, Brad. Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at FlashGordonPod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. It's just a jump to the left. Put your hands on your hips. With voyeuristic intention, well secluded, I see all. With a bit of a mind flip, you're into the time slip. And nothing can ever be the same. You're faced out on sensation, like you're under sedation.